This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg So this letter focuses on the Ten Svirot, which is, of course, the foundation of the Kabbalah, based on the idea that we know Hashem from my own flesh, I know God. My own personal experience is the best way we can know Hashem, extrapolating it from our own personal experience. And the reason for that is because, just like God fills all the worlds, the soul fills the body. Because everything in this world is a reflection a symptom of of Hashem. We are just the parable. Where does the parable come from? It comes from comes from Hashem. So we are a manifestation, a reflection uh, of of Hashem, and that's why we are a parable to Hashem. Our own personal experience is a parable to Hashem. So just like from the makeup of our own soul, our own personality and character, which is made up of ten faculties, we can understand the ten svirot, the ten godly emanations. And the reason why the Jew specifically sees this connection, makes this connection, why do we view this world and our own per- ourselves as an example, as a parable that helps us understand and, help and illustrates for us the divine, the spiritual, the godly? Because we're plugged in. Because the Jewish soul is plugged in. We're connected. As it says, that God blew into his nostrils. So God gave a piece of himself, his own breath. Our life, our soul is God's breath. Not like the rest of creation. The rest of creation is God spoke and the world came into being. But our, bre- our life is Hashem's breath itself. So we are a piece of Hashem. We have a piece of Hashem inside of us. And therefore, since we are so plugged in and connected, that's why we make those connections. Everyone else looks at this world. You don't see a connection. Either they come to a conclusion that the world is a maya, the world is one big illusion. There's nothing real about this world. Or that we're born in sin and this world is a hellhole and we'll have to be saved and go to heaven. The Jew looks at the same world, the same reality, the same physical, material world that everyone else is looking at, and everyone else is living in. And we see connections. We look at ourselves. Our soul is made up of ten faculties. We see the connection. This is a reflection of the ten divine emanations. That everything in this world is just a projection of the godly. The reality is godliness. That's reality. We are just a reflection of that reality. 
It's like a projection of a three-dimensional, of a person onto a two-dimensional surface. So one person sees a cartoon. But if you learn how to read it properly, that it's a parable, it's a reflection of a three-dimensional person. So when I look at the two dimensions, I look back and I see what it's pointing towards, where it's coming from. I see the tip of the iceberg. I don't take the tip of the iceberg as reality. I take the tip of the iceberg as pointing to what's underneath. So a Jew looks at this world, including starting with ourselves, and everything we see, that everything is pointing to something deeper and greater, to something spiritual, to something godly. And everything in this world is just a reflection, a manifestation. The material is just a manifestation of the spiritual, of the godly, which is the true reality. So when you start looking at this world this way, it's a different world. You don't look at this world as a coarse, crass, dark, dense, material place. You look at this world as just a parable. Everything in this world is a marshal. It's a tip of the iceberg that's pointing to something deeper and something greater and something profound and something genuine and something real. Then this world is no longer a maya. This world is no longer an illusion. If you take this world for granted, if you just take this world as is, then this world is really a nothing. Then this world is just a lie, a distortion, a then this world is a dark place, a coarse, crass dark place. But when you read this world correctly, and you realize everything in this world points to some truth, deeper truth, a spiritual truth, a godly truth, everything is just a marshal. It's a parable. Because everything in this world is just a manifestation of, of its source, something spiritual, something godly. Nothing just happens, nothing just is. The lion is a manifestation of the heavenly lions. The attributes, the characteristic of a lion manifest the heavenly lions, the angels who are compared to the lions, the face of the lion. Everything in this world is really a manifestation of something spiritual, of something godly. So when you learn to read it correctly, then it's a different world. Suddenly this world becomes a good place, a friendly place, a godly place, a genuine place. Because it is a genuine reflection of something much deeper and greater. But if you disconnect it and you just take the world at face value, then this world really is nothing. So because the Jew, because our soul is the breath of Hashem, peace of Hashem, that comes from within Hashem, because we have that connection, we're, we're naturally connected, therefore we see connections all over. Whatever we look at, we see a divine connection, a godly connection. We realize that reality is not what we see. Reality is the spirit. Reality is the godly. We are, not that we're an illusion, we are a reflection of that reality. And once you, you, you put everything into the right place, into the right perspective, then everything becomes real. Everything becomes meaningful. Our lives, everything around us. And we're able to discover and connect the world around us. Because we are connected. And that's what he's going to say now. That's where we left off. That, that every single Jewish soul, from the greatest to the smallest, is connected, is godly. And because we are godly, and because we are naturally connected, we have that window to the soul, so to speak. Therefore, 
we are able to sense how everything in this world is a manifestation of godliness. The reason in Nefesh, i.e. a soul of the lowest grade of Asiya, i.e. the lowest world, derives from the union of Zah, the initials Zion Anten, the bracket of six masculine Mido, or emotive attributes, with Nukla, i.e. the feminine attributes called Malput, of Asiya. i.e. Nefesh in the world of Asiya is born of the union of the above masculine and feminine Mido, this union being called the Yichud, or Zivug, of Zun, Zacher and the Keva, male, masculine, and, and feminine. Which is an acronym for Zah the six uh, attributes, the masculine attributes, and nukva, the feminine attribute. Okay, these are Kabbalistic terms. Basically, the neshama has many names. There are five names of the neshama, starting with nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya, yechida. Nefesh is the first, the lowest. Then you have many worlds. You have the Asiya, the world of action, the lowest world, then you have the higher world of formation, you have the world of creation, then you have the world of emanation, and then you have the Keter, the crown, which is, transcends even the world of emanations. Also you have five levels, five levels of the soul. So even a soul that's rooted in the lowest level of the soul, Nefesh, Nefesh. And within Nefesh it could be Nefesh din Nefesh. And it's rooted in the lowest world, in the world of action. So it's the lowest of the lowest level. But he says even that soul has a source. Has a source in the higher spherot, in the sphere of Zah, which is the emotional attributes. Because just like every birth, physical birth, comes as a result of the union of masculine and feminine, so too the birth of the soul, the emergence of the soul also comes as a result of the union between the six emotional attributes and the feminine attribute. And what's behind all of that? And of the union of the emotion, i.e. Chabad, an acronym for the intellective soul faculties of Kachma, Bina, and Dat together constituting the mochen of Zah and Nukva in the world of Asiya, which are the Chaya and the Shama of Zah and Nukva. Foreshadowing the above-mentioned union at the level of the lower emotive spherot, the union which first brings a nefesh to the stage of potential creation is that which takes place at the level of the higher intellective spherot. The two partners of this union are the soul level called Chaya, representing the level of Chachma, the masculine element, and the soul level called Neshama, representing the level of Bina, the feminine element. This union between the, ma- the f- masculine and the feminine goes back at its source to even a higher level, the level of Chachma and Bina. Chachma is like the masculine. Chachma is the... This is in the world of intellect, which is the source of the emotions. Also, you have these two energies, Chachma and Bina. Because it's only when you have the union of Chachma and Bina that it gives birth to an emotion. And then when the emotional attributes come together, are united, the, the six masculine emotions, and then the feminine emotion, that gives birth to the child. So first, 
the first it begins in the in, in the intellect. So you have in order to give birth to the emotions, first you have the level of chachma. Chachma is like the initial burst, the spark, the eureka moment, the uh, bolt of lightning, and that's more like a general, a general sense. Just like the masculine, it's almost like the sperm. It's it's just a potential. It's a, it's formless. It's not yet developed. It's just the initial burst, the initial spark, the that contains the potential. And then comes the bina, which takes this spark and develops it and <coughs> until it becomes to a full fledged. Um, full-fledged, articulated the concept and with details and so the potential is now actualized and now is defined and developed and and that takes time to take from that initial concept, raw concept from that sense of Chachma and to find the right words and language to articulate it, to express it, to to capture it. To, and it's only then when you marry the two, the Chachma, the union of Chachma and Bina, it's only as a result of this union that you give birth to the emotions. Because each one has an advantage over the other. You need both together. Because Chachma has that initial excitement, that, that, that you know, the entrepreneur, the person who's innovative, creative, that burst of creativity, there's an energy there, there's an excitement, there's a, um, a freshness versus the Bina, the analytical one, is the one who brings it down to earth and finds the right words. And, but it's only when you have the two together that the analysis remains true to the initial spark. You know, when the analysis becomes divorced of the initial spark, it becomes lifeless. You know, there are many analysts who don't have a, a spark of creativity, don't have a creative bone in their body. They can take an idea and they can develop it, but they can't create the life of it. And sometimes you can smother it to death. You take an idea and by the time you're through with it, you've taken out all the energy and all the life and all the excitement and all the, 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 the creative genius. He's bursting with creativity, but he doesn't have the tools with which to realize it and to develop it. And to, so it's very exciting, but it can't give birth to anything. It can't. You can't take it to the next level. How many creative people well, who discovered America? Columbus discovered America. He died in jail. <laughs> Better's prison, I think. Who's America named after? Mariego. You know, how many creative geniuses, they, they couldn't take what they, they discovered and do anything with it. You know, it's a, it's a completely, entirely different talent, the one who's able to come up with the idea and the one who's able to develop the idea. But when you marry the two together, when you have the Chachma and the Bina, and the two, the Zohar calls are like two friends that are inseparable, because the truth is, for the Bina to be true to the Chachma, to stay true to the point, to maintain the point, and to maintain the truth, 
and that energy and that excitement. And for the Chachma to be, to be work together with the Bina, to be able to flesh it out and to articulate it and to engineer it and to, to build a structure that could contain this idea and develop this idea, only when you have the two together, then you can give birth, truly give birth to an emotion, a sound emotion, an enduring emotion, an emotion that's based on solid awareness and understanding, a deep understanding. So it's the Chachma and the Bina, the masculine and the feminine energy that merge, unite, to give birth to the emotions. And then you have the masculine emotions and the feminine emotions that unite to give birth to the child, in this case, the soul of the soul. So here is referring to the world of action, the lowest world. So as a result of the interplay and the dynamic of these svirot, it gives birth to the soul of Asiya, which is like the lowest soul. The lowest of the lowest of Jewish souls. A person of action, a person who doesn't have within him, you don't see overtly, you don't see any deep emotions, and you don't, surely don't see any profound awareness or let alone the deeper and higher levels of the soul all you see is a simple practical person doesn't have the capacity for any depth for any deep emotions or deep understanding just a nefesh of asiya a soul of action he's practical he's down to earth he can get things done that's about it so even this soul, he says, thus... Because even a soul is merely at the level called Nefesh, comprises all the spirit of the world of Sia, the six emotive attributes, and Nukva, Malchus. What goes into every soul? Every soul is a result of a process that begins with the Chachman and the Bina, which, which gives birth to the emotions, and then the emotions coming together and uniting and giving birth to the souls. Every soul contains within the soul... Ten spherot, ten faculties. That's why we are comprised of ten faculties. Because we are a reflection. Every Jewish soul is a reflection of the ten faculties, godly faculties. And that's the faculties of the world of Asiya. These in turn are the external aspect of the Kalim, of Zah and Nukva of Atsilu. The Kalim of Zah and Nukva of Atsilu illuminate and are infused within the spherot of the world of Asiya. The spherot of Asiya are thus the external aspect of the kalim of Zah and Nukva of Atsili. So the ten spherot of all the worlds, the world of creation, of formation and action, the ten spherot themselves are godly. They're, they're God's spherot. But in the world of Atsila, in the world of emanation, you have the lights of the Sfirot. And that's why the, the, the vessels are almost, almost not detectable and not discernible because it's, it's illuminated with the light, which is a reflection of the infinite light. So there you sense more the light. But in the worlds of creation, formation, and action, there... It's more the, the, what you sense more is the vessels 
that concentrate the light and contain the light and concentrate the light and filter the light. So you, you are getting the godly light, but the way it's filtered and concentrated through the vessels of Atsilus. And these comprise, these make up the ten spherot of each and every world. So the lowest world, the world of action, are like the most external part, aspect, most external manifestation of the vessels of Atsilus, where the godly light is filtered. And so, but nevertheless, it's still the godly light. The world of Atsilus is the world of emanation. So the ten svirot, these are all connected and unified with Hashem, with Hashem's infinite self. So even the lowest level, even the most external level, the most external of the external, even that's still connected and still godly. So every Jewish soul, which is comprised of the ten svirot of the world of action, these ten svirot are connected and a reflection of the godly. So we are comprised, our substance is godly. The very being, the very making of our soul is truly godly. And they, the kalim of Atsilu, are truly divine. For in them radiates the infinite Ein Sof light, which is vested and concealed in the Chachma of Atsilu, for reasons explained in the Altar Rabbi's note to chapter 35. Indeed, the infinite light vested in Chachma illuminates all the kalim of the Svirot of Atsilu, who super, the supernal father nests in Atsilu. And he, the infinite being so light, and his kalim are one in Atsilu. Since the Svirot of Atsilu are the internal aspect of the Svirot of Asiya, the infinite Ainsof light is thus vested within the spherot of the Sia. What he's saying here is that although, in truth, everything in this world is really a parable, everything in this world points to something godly, to something spiritual. Everything is a, a mushroom. For example, the lion. The lion, where do lions come from? Soul of the lion. They originate in the angels that are called the face of a lion. In the vision of the chariots, Ezekiel describes the angels as Pnei Arye. And that's why we have lions in the ark. Many, many of the parishes, uh, many of the curtains in front of the ark. Why would we have a non-kosher animal in the shul? Because it's a reflection of the chariot of Ezekiel. Because in heaven, the lions are very holy. But the way the lions come into this world, lions are not so holy. Lions are lions. Lions are predatory animals. So even though the lions come from the heavenly lions, and they are parable to the heavenly lions, and from the characteristic traits of the lions, we can get some glimpse, some understanding of the heavenly lions, but nevertheless, the lion is not heavenly, and the lion is not angelic. A lion is a vilde chaya, the king of chayas, the king of wild animals, dangerous, predatory animals. You have a pet as a lion, and he goes, he damages, you're, you're liable. He's a vilde chaya. You can't, can't contain him. 
He's a wild ad. No one's going to say that the lion that you're looking at in the zoo, that this lion in the safari is the heavenly. You're not looking at him and you see Malach, uh, Malach Michal, Malach Gavriel. I don't see Malach Gavriel in this lion. The angel Gavriel. Yes, a certain characteristic traits and certain things that reflect, but, but the way it comes down into this world, it's a lion, it's a chayera, it's a vilda chaya, not kosher animal, a predatory animal, the king of non-kosher animals. So, it's not the same. However, with the tenth Svirot, when he says, when Job says, from my flesh I know God, that from my ten faculties that are in my own soul, from that I know God, I can understand the tenth Svirot, he's saying something much deeper. Everything in this world is a parable. Everything in this world has an origin, a source, a root. In heaven, in, in the spiritual, and in the godly. Otherwise, it couldn't exist. Everything that exists in this world comes from a deeper source. But here, it's much more intimate. It's much deeper. The reason why I can know God from my own soul, from my own ten faculties, I can have an understanding of, of Hashem, ten svirot, is because my soul is, comes from the ten svirot. This is my substance. I am made up of the ten svirot. Where does my soul come from? Every Jewish soul, even the lowest Jewish soul, the nefesh of the nefesh of the world of Asiya, from the lowest level of Malchus, of Malchus, of Asiya, where does it come from? It contains within it the, all of the ten sefirot of the world of Asiya, which comes from the world of Atzillus, the world of emanation, which comes from and is rooted in the Chachma, which is the window to the infinite. So the infinite light penetrates Every soul, so our soul, that's our substance. We are made up of godliness. So it's not like from the animal I'm trying to understand the heavenly animal, the heavenly uh, lion, physical lion. This is the very stuff that we're made up of. We are made up of godliness. We are made up of the ten spirit. That's what we're constituted of. That's what we are. So if you understand your own soul, you understand your own experience... This is godliness, where godliness has come down. God has breathed, has given His breath, His breath, that's my life. And the lowest Jewish soul has that breath as His very life and the very substance. So therefore, we can know God from the inside, from the inside out. From my experience, my own personal experience, my own flesh, I know God. Because from the inside out, I am. We are God. We are a reflection of God. That's what we're made of. That is our very substance. So it's not two separate things that are disconnected. The lion is disconnected from its source. It has fallen very far from its source. But nevertheless, there's still traces. There's still, it, ultimately, that's the root of the lion. That's, so I can use it as a parable to help me understand something, somewhat, of the spiritual. But there's a disconnect. The physical lion is disconnected from the angels, from the angel Gabriel. Here he's saying there's no disconnect. We are godly. Our soul is godly. Our substance is the tense we are. So even as the soul comes into this world, as a soul, as the as the, as the unification of 
the Zah and Nukva give birth to the soul, that soul is nothing other than an extension, a reflection of that godliness. So there's no disconnect. There's no rupture. There's no... And therefore, I can know God because we are godly. So I'm not understanding something foreign to me or alien to me or something distant. This is our very self. And that's why we naturally respond to godliness. And that's why it permeates our very being. You ask any Jew, how are you doing? Baruch Hashem? <laughs> Not so good. <laughs> but Baruch Hashem? It's part of the language. I'm asking you about your business. I'm asking you about your health. What are you bringing Hashem into the business? Did I ask you about uh, how your Torah study is going? How your prayer and meditation are going? How your mitzvah are going? I'm talking about your business, your life, your wife, your children. Your... And yet, it's, it's like part of the conversation. It's a normal. Baruch Hashem? You write a letter. Baruch Hashem? It, it permeates everything because it's so natural because we're so plugged in. What do you mean? Of course, everything is Hashem. It's 24-7. It's everything that I do and everything that I have and everything that I'm involved in. Hashem is... It's so instinctive because that's our substance. We are godly. We are plugged in. There's no disconnect. There's no interruption. There's no... There's no fall. The very breath of Hashem, Hashem breathed into Adam's nostrils. Our soul, our life is, is Hashem's breath. That constitutes our being. That's what we are. That's who we are. That's my personality. That's my character. That's the ten faculties of my soul. That's my intellect, my brains, my emotions. That's who I am. So it's not a parable, it's a distant. There's no interruption. This is, this is what I am. This is who I am. And that's why from my flesh I intimately know God. From my own personal experience I can immediately sense and appreciate and realize we are nothing other than that godly energy uh, it's a little hard to grasp uh, this whole discussion um, you know about um, from my flesh I see God and all of that and, and to learn uh, this sphero this way because you know um, we don't have the, the full terminology you know we have to go back and learn chapter 7 and you know, those other chapters, the Zah, Nuk, Nuk, all these, these terms. I mean, uh, well, well, we, are we jumping the gun? We have good news because later on in this letter he's going to go very specifically over each of the faculties and explain each of the faculties in great detail, more, more detail than anything we've studied in the past. Mm-hmm. So we're in for a treat. Everything, everything will be laid out and everything will be explained very clearly, and will help us understand Hashem. From its soul, man is enabled to understand something of this supernal sphero. For they all radiate in the soul which comprises them, since the soul derives from the ten sphero and hence comprises ten corresponding faculties, man can derive an understanding of the supernal sphero through contemplating the dynamics within his own soul. And next week we're going to learn that although we are more than just a parable. We are the actual thing itself. We're not just a parable to the ten spirit. We are the ten spirit. We are comprised of the ten spirit, which is why from my flesh I can know God. Because it's intimate, it's personal, it's... 
But nevertheless, you cannot compare our soul, our manifestation of the ten spirit to the ten spirit themselves. And that's what he's going to explain with a beautiful parable um, next, uh, next Tuesday, please God. You know, you're talking about the ultimate person that says Baruch Hashem and is connected to God. That's, that's the ultimate level of what a person should be, but that's not realistically what people are. So, and in how, wh- how, you know, what do you call them disconnected as well? I mean, Hashem breathed, uh, breathed life into every human being, but what you're talking about the ultimate human being that thinks that they're connected to God, but the average person doesn't think that way. As a matter of fact, I would say that animal behavior is probably better than human behavior, at least in the times that we live in right now. At least an animal was born with instinct, and God only expected so much for an animal. An animal does live up to the expectations of God, because really they don't, they don't commit any sins. They live according to what their instincts are, but a human is a constant disappointment to God. Well, today there's a lot of, I would attribute it more to ignorance, because this instinct that Jews have had throughout all ages, and not only educated Jews, even uneducated, everyone throughout, the Baruch Hashem is so much a part of our language. Um, if you find, if you don't find it today, it's only because of ignorance. You know, the Jews, due to no fault of their own, never had a Jewish education, and never, you know, they weren't brought up with it. They weren't exposed to it. But instinctively and naturally, this comes so natural to us that even without education, it's like you know the simplest person, the most uneducated, uh, most uneducated Jew. This was this is the language. Baruch Hashem, Hashem, Hashem here, Hashem there. Every everything is Hashem. Without even it's not premeditated. It's like it's just so so natural and instinctive. So if we don't see that today, if you don't see that today, it's, it's only because, I would say, it's mostly 90% because of ignorance, due to no fault of their own. Um, but you're definitely right about the humans and animals that we learned in the first part of the Tanya, in the chapter 24, that why man is the lowest creature. That's what we were created last. Not only if we actually sin, the fact that we could even sin, you say animals they can't even sin the fact that we could sin and transgress and rebel against Hashem our creator makes us already reduces us already to the lowest you know when man falls we're lower than the lowest on the other hand it's a double edged sword we also have the potential to rise even above the, above the angels when we exercise our freedom of choice and we choose to do the right thing Despite our challenges, we're much greater than the angels because angels are also just instinctive. Angels don't either have any freedom of choice, you know. So they're just following their instinct. When a person, despite, despite all the odds and despite all the challenges from within and from without, and yet chooses wisely and chooses to do the right thing, this elevates us way above, above the angels. Um, so it's because we are godly that's why we have freedom of choice, and that's why we are higher than the highest, or lower than the low. So it, it's right, and that's because we are essentially godly. 
And that's really the story of the Jewish people. That's why our history is marked by extremes. There's nothing in between. It's either a Tisha B'Av or an Exodus from Egypt, which are the same day. At or to Holocaust or it's a six-day war. It's Aslo or Mashiach. There's nothing in between with us. It's extreme. Either, you know, we're bringing communism into the world that almost destroyed half of the world, or we're bringing Torah into the world and Yiddishkeit and holiness and godliness and goodness and truth. There's nothing in between. Why is that? Because we are godly. So because we have, it's like, it's like you have a nuclear energy in your hand, so you, you can't just ignore it. You can't play neutral. Either you're going to light up New York City with it, or you're going to destroy New York City with it. When you have this godly energy, this powerful energy, this insatiable, either you're going to revolutionize this world and bring Mashiach and make this world to a godly world, or God forbid you're going to wreak havoc in this world and destroy the world. And bring terrorism into the world. And, 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 uh, I have one more question. Didn't God breathe into every single soul? I mean, it was, wasn't it wasn't a necessarily a Jewish soul that He could breathe life into. It just that He breathed life into a human. But according to but according to the Zohar, according to Kabbalah, yeah. Adam was the primordial, like the ultimate, the soul, the ultimate soul of the Jewish people, the soul of all the Jewish people. That says Adam Kriyim Adam. The Talmud says Adam refers to specifically the Jewish people. So this idea, and that's why it was Avraham who took the essence of Adam, and that's why Adam and Chava buried with the patriarchs and the matriarchs. They're not universal. They belong to the whole world. They don't. Mm-hmm. Because the world belongs to Noah. Noah, that's why it's called seven Noahide laws. Noah is one of the reasons, because Noah, besides he was given the seventh law, and he completed the seven Noahide laws, because every human being is a descendant of Noah. Noah was like Adam. Right. He's the only survivor. Noah was a non-Jew. And, and he created the image of God. And that's why we, we look up to every human being. Every human being is created in the image of God. And Noah is the ultimate role model. And God spoke to him. But Adam, this quality of breathing into his nostrils, that our very soul is God's breath. And that we are, we are a reflection, an extension, so to speak, of the divine svirot, which are rooted in the infinite, in godliness, this complete, which explains the Jews' potential for complete egolessness and self, true self-sacrifice throughout the ages, this only comes from that godly, godly essence, which is unique, which Hashem breathed into our nostrils. And that's why the Jew is so plugged in, the Jew is so connected, and you see that in the Baruch Hashem, and you see that in our, the fact that we see all these connections. Why doesn't anyone else see all these connections? We see these connections everywhere. Because we are so connected. Internal. From my flesh I know God. So to us it's not something strange or different or foreign or alien or out there. It's within us. It, we sense it. We feel it. It's, it's alive for us. It's, it's real for us. That's why... A Jew gets excited. When you see something godly, we get excited. We dance in some chastorah. We, you hear something godly, the smallest thing, we respond. Ah, what a miracle. Someone who's not connected, we hear the greatest miracle and we'll poo-poo it. Ah, don't get so excited. It's not, it's probably, there's a natural explanation. The high tide, low tide. A Jew, the smallest miracle. I found a parking space. Thank God. 
So, Rabbi, does this have anything to do with the fact that the Jewish neshamot is, is comprised of different spiritual elements and the, the neshamot of the rest of, of, of the Goim, the rest of the other nations, like the, the Jewish neshama is Ruach, neshama, nefesh, and, and the Goim don't have, what, what is it, they don't have a neshama, they have Ruach no, so, and nefesh? Well, 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 that's the point. Everything in this world ultimately is rooted and comes from spiritual, from the divine. But God created the world in a way that the world is disconnected. The world doesn't sense that connection. That connection is, is concealed, is hidden, is concealed. It's not, you look at the lion, the lion is not the heavenly lion. <laughs> Don't delude yourself. <laughs> Don't bring the lion into your house. <laughs> so, you know, every, you, everything in this world is a reflection of but there's a disconnect. What he's, the point that he's making here, we're learning today, is that by the Jew there's no disconnect. As, as we are, as is, our soul is plugged in, is connected. Even the lowest level is just plugged in and connected. It's the same, it's the same thing. It's the divine energy. It's the ten spherot itself that have come down and given birth and extended itself into, into us. So we are godly. And that's why the non-Jew treats the Jew differently. Because they know that the Jew is different. They sense it. There's something different. You're not like us. And you never will be. They can't explain it, but they just sense it. You're different. And as but much as... can be godly like us. They can no. They have to. They can be Noahide. They can live up to their potential of being created in the image of God, and they can act, live a godly life, and follow the seven Noahide laws. But the this intimacy and this being inseparable and one, which is, expresses itself in our ability to be egolessness and have mysterious nefesh, self-sacrifice true self-sacrifice. This is a godly ability. It's not a human ability. It's not within the capacity of a human being to reach this level. So why do we have some righteous Gentiles? No, righteous Gentile doesn't make them Jewish. They're not Jewish, but they're righteous Gentiles. Because Noah was a righteous Gentile. Noah was a human being and a righteous Gentile and a prophet and a hero. And he's the role model for seven billion people. That's why we don't try to proselytize. That's why we actively discourage proselytization. You don't have to be Jewish to be connected, to, to, to fulfill your purpose and your mission. And by you fulfilling your mission and your purpose, you, you are, that's your connection. But the Jew is the connector. The Jew is the connector. Because we're born connected. Just by the fact that we're born Jewish. We have that Jewish soul. We stood at Sinai. And the non-Jew knows and senses that we are the connector. And anti-Semitism is just the non-Jew's funny way of telling the Jew, get your act together because we depend on you. You are the connector. Don't pretend to be one of us. Whom are you kidding? You never will be, you never were, you never will be. You are the teacher, you are the you are this prophet, you, are the, you have to be the role model, you have to show us the way. 
You have to lead us. Because they sense that every Jew is connected. Hitler knew that. Every Jew is connected. And that's why he despised every Jew. Not only the rabbi, the mystic, the scholar. There was no difference there. Every Jew. Even a Jewish baby. Because that Jewish baby is a connector. Is connected and is the connector. And that's our makeup. That's our being. That's our very substance. So we're not just a parable for something different. When you have a parable, there's no connection between the parable and this. Just from the parable, I can understand. It helps me understand some ideas, some something else. But here, it's not something foreign. Our soul, our makeup of our soul is not something foreign from godliness. Its very substance is God. So what, what becomes of a convert's soul? A convert is 100% Jewish. A but genuine their soul, con- if they're not born different, what, what happens to their soul? What happens is that the moment of conversion, something very magical happens. A genuine convert. There's no human fingerprints when she or he come out of that mikvah, they are literally transformed. They are literally fused into the Jewish organism. They literally walk out with a new soul, so much so that halachically, biblically, a brother and a sister would even be allowed to marry each other because they're two new human beings. Really? Yeah. Rabbinically, it's not allowed. But but essentially... Because they're literally Two reborn. Yes, they're literally reborn. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like a godly laboratory. That's why all these fictitious conversions, they have no understanding what a conversion is. A conversion is not like becoming an American citizen. It's not worth the paper it's written on. A conversion, something magical happens, something divine and godly. Only the creator of life tells us, if you come to my laboratory and you do A, B, and Z... Something magical is going to happen to you. You become a new human being, a new person. And that could only be if you do it halachically. That's why any conversion that's not halacha, that doesn't follow the halacha of Moshe, and the way it was done for 30, 300 years, it's not worth the paper it's written on. And you're actually deceiving the would-be convert by pretending that he's Jewish or she's Jewish, and they're not. A real conversion, a genuine conversion, no human being could decide on, on it. Not a, it doesn't matter if you're orthodox. Or if, no human being. It's not, it's not a human process. It's a purely godly, divine process. And Hashem says, when you follow my guidelines, it's like, it's like you're going to come to the laboratory. Well, I don't want to do it this way. I think I'm going to put something else. Well, you're not going to get the same result. So something magical happens, something godly. It's a new person, a neshama, a Jewish neshama. What makes us Jewish? We have a Jewish soul. No, I know. Well, so, that's what I am. So, so that's, that's what happens. And that's why it has to be for real. And we actively discourage proselytization because it's, if it's not real, it's, it's nothing. Could you convert an apple to an orange? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, how, could you, how could you convert a Jew, a non-Jew to a Jew? That's the real question. How could there be a conversion? That, that's really the real question. Okay, so how, what is that? And that, the answer is, it's a, it's a divine process. It's a very godly divine process. And first, we create obstacles because we tell the would-be convert, you don't have to be Jewish. You can be a righteous Gentile. You can be like Noah. You can be, that's your way to plug in. That's your way to connect. 
and you have a share in the world to come, and you plug into eternity, into Hashem, into the Jewish people, by being a righteous Gentile, you don't have to be Jewish. And most people are very happy to hear that. You don't have to be Jewish to connect. We're the only people in the world who's actively discovered proselytization. Because we, we have so much respect for 7 billion people, every human being is created in the image of God, every human being is a potential Noah, you don't have to be Jewish to be connected with now, there are those few individuals who just have this burning desire, this yearning that they inexplicable, they can't explain it. They say, listen, seven Noahide laws doesn't do it for me. I need, I, don't, I just have this feeling inside of me I have to become Jewish. I need all 613 mitzvot. I, I just, like Avram, Avram was a convert. First Baltrupa, the first convert. So if we see that this person has this, this yearning and despite all the obstacles he keeps on coming back and insisting, no, I, I need... This tells us that he has some Jewish spark. This innate Jewish spark that's pulling him from the most unexpected places. It's pulling him... So then when he goes through the conversion process, there's this magical transformation. And the person steps out a new human being, a new person, a Jew. So there's something very godly and holy and special about conversions, which most people involved in conversions have no clue. That's why all these discussions, this conversion, that conversion, it's, it's, it's... if being Jewish is religion, then of course any conversion goes. What's the difference? Like becoming an American citizen. But that's, being Jewish is a soul thing. You literally have a Jewish soul. So how could there be any conversion? It's only Hashem, only God Himself could determine and reveal to us the process how one becomes Jewish. And this is the process. We actively discourage it. And when you see that despite all that discouragement, the person insists, I need to become Jewish. I just need to. Every fiber in my being, every bone in my body, I just just can't explain it, but I just have this pull. I have to... Seven Noahide laws are not enough for me. To be Noah is not enough for me. I need to be connected to Avram, to the Jewish people. Then, when he goes through the process a halachic process, of halachic conversion, then the person who steps out of the mikvah is a new human being, brand new human being, like a baby that's born, brand new person. The whole DNA has changed. Everything changed. We can't see it. We don't understand souls. But the creator of life and the creator of soul tells us that this is what happens when you go through this godly process called conversion. When you convert a baby... Yes. When you're adopting yes. a baby... What, what happens, happens at that mikvah? Okay. So, it's a, what happens is that the conversion is... is like hanging until the baby grows up and becomes an adult. When the baby turns into an adult, they have to confirm the conversion. Willingly. 
In other words, if they confirm the conversion and they say, I'm happy, thank you for converting me, when I was a child, I was a baby, then retroactively that conversion begins from when he, from when he was dipped into the mikvah. But you can't impose that conversion on the person. If the child grows up and says, thank you, but no thank you. I don't have it in me. I don't feel Jewish. I don't have it in me. I don't want to do 613 mitzvot. It's not me. It's you. You adopted me. Let's say Jewish parents who adopted a child. That's fine. It's very nice. I appreciate that you took me in. I appreciate that I owe you everything, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm Jewish when I'm not. I'm just being honest. So you can't, because it's so real, because it's so genuine, being Jewish is something that comes from within. It's your neshama. If the person doesn't have the Jewish neshama, then uh, well, what's, well, what's the point of kidding ourselves and thinking that it's Jewish? But if the person does have that neshama and does have that spark and you raised him as a Jew and you gave him a Jewish education and he does have that feeling and then he says, thank you for converting me, then we know that all along he had that neshama and then the, the process that we did when he was a baby is a valid process because the principle is that we act as his agents. A child, a baby, doesn't have the volition, doesn't have the, will, the awareness to make decisions. The adults could act as his agents, like a proxy. We act as his agents. We speak for him. But we can only act as his agents if he allows us, if he appoints us to be his agents. At what point could he appoint us to be his agent? We have to wait 12 or 13 years till he becomes an adult. Then now he's an adult. Now he can tell us, were we acting as your agents then? Were you pleased? Then, then it works retroactively. And if not, he says, I never appointed you. Don't act as my agent. I don't want this. I don't need this. I'm not interested. Then you can't appoint yourself. You can't act as someone's proxy if he doesn't appoint you. So then it's, it doesn't work. Then it's not, it's, it's meaningless. So it's a very heavy uh, burden to take yeah, upon yourself to, yeah. to adopt a, a well, to go well, through that process. Well, it's really, you have a double whammy. It's, it's parenting and religion. It's true. Well, firstly, most, uh, most rabbis would only convert the baby if the parents commit to raise him in a Jewish, tri- in a Jewish household. They're going to be observant. They're going to live a Jewish life. Um, so, you know, chances are that the child will make that decision. But ultimately, it's his or her decision. And there have been cases where the child says, thank you, but no thank you. I mean, I love you dearly, and I'll forever be grateful for everything you've done to me, but I can't, I can't pretend that I am when I'm not. There's so many cases where people want to convert for ulterior motives, for marriage, and the spouse, just being a real human being and a real person, says, listen, I can't go through with it because it's not me. I, I don't, it's very nice, but I, I don't feel Jewish. I don't want to be Jewish. It's not part of me. It's not me. I'm not going to pretend that I am just to please you. you know? So that person is being just honest and real. Because and, if you're doing it for ulterior motives, there's no honesty there. I don't know. I mean, what about a child that is like grew, grew up Jewish and then suddenly, but they really... They weren't Jewish. Don't feel it, oh, doesn't but matter. they feel like a sense of obligation because that's the way they Once you're, you're born Jewish, there's nothing you could do. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. <laughs> no, 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 that they, they weren't. Oh, they were not Jewish. Yeah, they were adopted. Oh, they, they were, were adopted. adopted. Oh. And they, like, you know, they have a Yeshiva education and they, right. you, you know, they behave Jewish in right. every way. But, but they never they, made yeah. that choice. But they, yeah, they don't, they so then made the wrong choice out of, yeah. So then they're not Jewish. 
they're genuinely not Jewish, and you have to respect that. There's nothing wrong. Nothing they wear a kippah. Yeah, and yeah. There's yeah. nothing. Yeah. This is like something, uh, something that happens when they're 13. Yeah. And, and so then they continue to live in this. Right. Jewish if they choose life. to continue to live, mm-hmm. exactly. Wow. You know, we had. Yeah, I don't know if you were here. We had. Uh, we had a couple, a preacher from the south. You remember him and his wife? They both both converted to Yiddishkeit. He was a preacher, and he started learning in the south, the Baptist, Southern Baptist, very popular preacher, and he decided to go to the origin of Christianity. He started studying the, the Bible and the Torah and the Hebrew, and the more he got into it, he started, uh, he started um, Yom Kippur fasting with his congregation. I think by the time he started Yom Kippur fasting, he lost half his congregation. <laughs> by the time he came to, to circumcision, I think he lost them all. <laughs> but... But he was very funny speaking, but he, he decided to become, to convert, and his wife joined him on the journey. They both, which is unusual, because mm-hmm. many times one and the other ones are not interested. Right. They were soulmates, I guess. They, yeah, they, yeah they, both, they both converted at the same time. He was in one mikveh, they were in the other mikveh, and just to test him, that it's for real, they told the story, to test him, the rabbis told him, you know, your wife just told us she's, she's backing out. It's just, just she can't go through with it. And, uh, and do, you still, do you still want to go through with it? In other words, because then you won't be able to live with her anymore. That's it. She's not Jewish. She can't intermarry. He says, he said, and th- the same time they were doing the same to his wife. The wife says, you know, we told, your husband just told us he can't go through with it. He's sorry. You still want to do this. And each of them said, we're going... <laughs> through with it no matter what they would test them there's no ulterior motive because if there's an ulterior motive the conversion is not worth anything it has to be genuine you know even you take away all the ulterior motives I'm not doing this for anyone I'm doing this for myself I just need this and I want this it's my life and I, I have to have this relationship with Hashem so that's 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 a real thing you know if a person is real and in touch with himself he knows is this for real it's not for real now once you're born Jewish it doesn't matter you do care you don't care you, you don't care for it you're Jewish this class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project more classes available at LessonsInTanya.com